0: I'm Andy, if you don't know, I'm one of the uh, elders here at this wonderful uh, church, this family of mine, Christ First, and uh, uh, I kicked off this series quite a few weeks ago in Galatians, and it feels ages ago, it feels like so long ago since I kind of kicked it off, but um, but um, the more I read Galatians and the more time I spend in it, it used to be one of those books of the Bible I kind of treated a little bit, yeah, it's good, it's good, it's a letter, you know, from Paul to a Galatian church, it's good. But when you kind of grapple with it, and I really grappled with it this week, it's like, whoa, hang on a second. Every single line of this has got so much significance to it as you get into some of the chunks. And it's a really juicy section of scripture. Um, you able to get my prezi up, Alex, or is it misbehaving? Yeah, okay, no worries. Uh, but it's a really juicy section of scripture. And... Um, and it's got a really powerful message, this the section we're going to look at for someone who's a new Christian or someone's just exploring Christianity, as well as a really long-standing Christian, been one for many years. So it's got a, a powerful message um, together. And... Um, it's wrapped up in really a, a fight for the gospel. So I've called this like a heavyweight fight for the gospel. And in uh, John Stott's book on Galatians, which is one of the pile of books we're kind of studying as we go through these series, we read lots of different viewpoints and then uh, come to you on a Sunday and preach. He said, he said this about it. He said this, this section of scripture um, we're going to do, or half of it at least, is without doubt one of the most tense and dramatic episodes uh, in the New Testament. So that's kind of like a douche-dush douche moment, we call it in EastEnders. You know that one? The one at the end, the actually kind of hits in at this point when this kind of things happen during this section um, of scripture. because um, what you're going to look at is is, is a fight. Um, and, and not a, uh, we'll talk about you know misunderstanding what I mean. I don't mean an out-and-out fight, but a fight for the gospel. It's a it's a heavyweight fight over the gospel and for the gospel, quite a deep level. Because the Apostle Paul, who wrote the letter to to Galatians, he sees the gospel as seriously good news. This is serious stuff, and you shouldn't be messing around with it. That's kind of the the tenet of this series, is this is seriously good news. Because the gospel is the hope for mankind. It is the hope for salvation for mankind. Therefore, you, you take it seriously. You don't over-process it and over-engineer it and make it so complex no one can understand it. I, I bark at that kind of way of pre- presenting the gospel. But equally you don't want to twist it and bend it so it gets confusing. It's serious stuff because it's the hope for all mankind. that God has made a way for us to be saved and to be made righteous in his sight. So justified. We'll talk a little bit about that word. I'll scratch the surface of the depth of that word today. But justified is a word we will explore. It's huge and it's so often misunderstood about how salvation works, and this is what's happening in this section of Scripture. It'll have a bit of what we call an exegetical feel, which is me kind of working through the lines of the Scripture, which is not my normal style, as you probably know. but I think it's right to look at at least the first half of this quite detailed. If I took the second half, we'd be here for months because of the, the detail. But I just want to work through some of the lines because you're going to see that there's some complex language in here. And if you read it quickly, it's like, what earth is he talking about? Because it's hard to understand unless you really dig into it. And I'll be happy to sit down with anyone who wants to do a Bible study on, on some of this section of Galatians personally because I find it fascinating when you really dig into dig into the whole thing. So shave, um, Dave, quite a few people are away at the moment, people work in education. Dave and Stevie are away. Dave's a heavyweight boxer in our church, which is a whole discussion point about how you feel about people punching people for the gospel, but but he witnesses in what he does, and he's an amazing guy, fantastic evangelist, and um, he's not here because I actually decided to make this about, oh um, uh, well, it's not up there actually. Uh, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do round one, the big punches, round two, being on the ropes, round three, faltering steps, and finally, the judge's decision. So let's actually read the scripture. It's quite a large section of it. And like I say, I won't do it justice today, but, but let's go in. So this is Galatians 2.11. Um, I'll read um, 11 to, uh, I think that's about 15, 16, and then I'll stop and then we'll carry on to the rest. So, but when, here we go. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood contem- condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Now it's going to get more complex, so just stay with me as we read through the rest of this. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus, in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too are found to be sinners is Christ then a servant of sin certainly not for if i rebuild what i tore down i prove myself to be myself to be a transgressor for though the law through the law i died to the law so that i might live to god i have been crucified with christ it is no longer i who live but christ who lives in me and the life i now live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god loved me and gave himself for me I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law then Christ died for no purpose right that's like a month's sermons at least if you want to unpick that which is why I'm saying in the time I have today we're, we're only going to scratch the service and if you're really interested I'd be more than happy to spend time with you guys outside of this talking about this because it's a lot and it's not some of the clearest scripture either I mean Sometimes you read it thinking that's just so many words and there's a lot of context in there. You've got to know who he's talking to and why he's talking to him about these things. But, but, um, But it's worth it, worth studying and worth looking. So I'm going to do my best today with a lot of help from the Holy Spirit and also John Stott, Tim Keller, Alan Cole, Phil Moore, loads of others. We've been kind of reading to try and make sure that we understand why Stott called it one of the most tense and dramatic episodes in the New Testament. Whether you agree with him or not, it certainly is a dramatic moment and it's got a powerful resonance and a powerful warning that comes right into this century, right into Watford, right into our lives today and I think it contains warnings but also guidance for Christians and as I said before, Galatians is good for those who are seeking to understand what we believe because it's arguing against all the alternatives. So Galatians is trying to say, look, there's a lot of alternatives that even come within the Christian community about what it means to be saved, what it means to be a follower of Christ. And they were confused. And people are confused now. People are confused today about what it means to be a Christian. It's interesting what Hannah shared about how someone defines themselves as a Christian. But let me first just set the scene, just to be clear, because some of you may not have been part of this series. We're in a place called Antioch, this is when this is being written uh, about. Uh, and that's believed to be kind of where the Gentile church, pretty sure, the Gentile Christian church began. So that's, the, that's where Christianity, the word, supposedly comes from. Um, but it's this sort of group of people who are, who are not Jewish. And that's what they call Gentiles. I always think it's a funny expression. You and me are Gentiles, by the way. You know, unless you're a Jewish person in here, you're a Gentile, which I think is a strange, a strange phrase to describe ourselves, but a non-Jew. And that's where this church started and then through Paul and then it spread globally outside of the the Jewish community into Watford. Because we are part of that story, that that spreading of the gospel outside of a a specific group brings it to us today. Uh, So as the church began, though, in Galatia, in this area, um, and in Antioch in particular, this group of Jewish Christians, so Jews that believed in Jesus, supposedly, at least, turn up in Antioch. And they say they're from James. Now, from James means they're from the Christian church that's been established by, through James and others, Jesus brother that is over in Jerusalem and a group have come over into Antioch. So from James is kind of another one of those did they mean he sent them? Nope James denies it later says I didn't send them but they're kind of almost coming from his church and cla- and I think most people believe they're claiming they're representing in some way. We're from James's church means carries some authority. You know, if you came here and you said you, you know, if I came here and said I'm from Westminster Chapel, it would kind of ooh, ooh, Westminster Chapel, ooh. So it's a bit of one of those like we're from here, and therefore you should listen to us. That's probably what most people believe actually meant from James's circle of contacts, but he didn't send them. Um, and that group is saying you cannot just be saved by faith in Jesus. And remember, they believe Jesus is the saviour, but they're saying no, that's not enough you've got to also in obey the mosaic laws the laws that were brought through moses you've got to obey those things in order to be clean and and right in god's sight so that's how you get accepted you have to be you know you have to keep up with these things so you can't eat certain things the list is huge by the way if you want to look at it you can't wear certain things you can't touch certain things you can't even touch mildew Touch mildew, you, you can't go in the presence, you can't go into temple, you can't go in the presence of God, you've touched mildew. And there's many things as also that you should do this and you can't do this, and the list is, is endless. And also it says you must be circumcised. And Without these things you're unclean and you're defiled before God and you're not acceptable in his eyes and certainly not in their eyes. And that group is essentially often referred to as Pharisees. Pharisees are... Um, I looked up a def- quick definition to help sort of someone. Sa- me- let me say the words here: distinguished by strict observance of the tradition and written law, and commonly held to have presentation, uh, pretensions, sorry, to superior sanctity. I they get distinguished by stink- strict observance of the traditional and written law, and commonly held to have pretensions to superior sanctity. Now they're referred to often in our version of the Bible, remember the Bible is a translation and there's lots of kind of translations around but the one we use is the ESV, English Standard Version, but often they're referred to as a circumcision party, that is a party I do not want to go to, to be absolutely clear, okay, I'm not going to on that one, because, by, because it's, it's a strange expression and it actually means like the political party, a group. Another other translations, simply just call them the circumcisers. Because, and, and did they do that? Is that what they were there for? No. I think it's just the most notable thing that they were talking about, that everyone was remembering, especially the men. Okay? Because you would. Look, I'm not trying to make smutty jokes here. If someone says to me, you've got to eat something, you've got to kind of avoid some things, you've got to wear certain things, and by the way, you have to be circumcised, that one is going top of my list of, whoa, hey, 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 hey. Hang on a second, mate. I have to what? You're going to what? Because that's how... No way. So even though they were representing a whole bunch of laws, that's the one that's standing out for the right. Like, that is physical alteration. Whatever you think about it, that's, that's more than just not touching mildew. You're asking me to do something to my body, however you want to see it. I'm not being smutty. I'm saying that's a significant thing you're asking me to do. And I will, re- I will note that in the things. If you ask me what your manifesto is, I say forget the manifesto. They want us to do that. And that's significant. Moving rapidly on. But they're promoting an alternative version of the gospel. And we'll come back to that many times in this series. So round one is big punches. Early big punches. Sorry I didn't click on earlier, but you hopefully stayed with me. Uh, round one. So we're going to look at why Paul is getting so riled. Why is he getting so agitated at, the, at this point? And that it seems that this scripture is being held with such, such significance. Now, here we go. So do you know who that is? that is? Yes, you do. It's Tom Cruise, right? Probably the most consistently famous actor of our age, like in big films all the time. Um, So if, depending on how old you are, I don't know what his first real film was, but I remember Top Gun. It was Days of Thunder before that, but he's way back, you know, Tom Cruise's been around for a very long time. And um, then you go through Minority Report, The Day After Tomorrow, which is a great film by the way, really enjoyed that one. And then you've got the Mission Impossible movies that are out right now. So Tom Cruise has gone throughout um, a long period of time as a significantly famous guy. What if I put this guy next to him, that's John Travolta. What are you thinking now? Scientology. Okay, So a lot of people know that John Travolta and Tom Cruise are both, well, John Travolta not, not really anymore, but Tom Cruise in particular is a believer in Scientology, which um, I would encourage you to look into. Not because I'm encouraging you to become a Scientologist because none of you will, but it's the kookiest of religions you've, you've come across. If you, if you understand what's going on about it, it is really quite odd. But they dig out Tom Cruise at all opportunity. He is the poster child, he's the guy that they push, in front they got him use used him all the time to represent um, Scientology. Why is that relevant? Why is that relevant? Well, because I believe that many people follow Scientology because of Tom Cruise. They look at him and say, he's a great actor, he's actually a strange guy to be interviewed by the way, if you've ever seen him being interviewed, he's definitely not of this earth. Um, but, but, but a really good actor, great films, really like him, seems quite a genuinely nice guy and therefore if he's into that I'm interested because he's, he's credible, he's a credible guy. Travolta was too in, in many ways. So it kind of attracts people towards something and actually validates it in some way that well if he's into it then it can't be all because he's such a solid guy, such a great actor. So, so that kind of connection comes. Why is that relevant? Why is Paul getting riled up? Why am I bringing this up? Because Peter is a big name. Peter is a, a celebrity of sorts, certainly within the Christian church. He's a big A apostle. He's one of Jesus' own. And for, for him to do things, people like, well, if he's doing it, that must be all right. It must be because he's credible. So they, he even describes him uh, as a pillar. So Paul calls Peter a pillar. And just to be clear, Cephas is... Sorry, I should have said the Greek name for Peter. It's the same guy. I keep saying that, and it started with Cephas. That's Peter. He's talking about Peter. It's just he has many names actually, all linked to the kind of Peter is the word for rock, and the word in uh, Aramaic is is similar to Cephas. So that's how he ended up with that kind of name. I don't know if I call it a nickname, but it's his, his name. But anyway, he's a pillar, a capital, a apostle, and you can watch my first preach on that one. So him following practices gives it credibility. And before you know it, if that was to carry on, this would start to spread. That's the way to do it, because that's the way Peter does it. And because Peter does it, we should probably be doing the same. And and Paul sees this risk very early on of, if that isn't stopped, this will start to to spread. And you've got the risk of an alternative version of the gospel starting to move out. Another way to be good with God would take root. And Paul is getting fuming mad about that. And that's why it says... um, But when Cephas came to Antioch, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. So Paul is calling out deep hypocrisy, some describe it as play acting. He's play acting. I'm frustrated with you because you're play acting in front of a certain crowd of people to look okay. And then Peter's, but it also is pretty commonly understood that he was doing, he was with the Gentiles for quite some time. It wasn't like he had one meal with a Gentile, one meal where he withdrew from them. The general language implies that for a while he'd been eating with Gentiles. So he was in that practice. And then suddenly he starts, and he doesn't, and he withdraws and only will now eat with the guys who've come in from James. Eating with Gentiles, you may say, "What's that matter? But there, you really are not following the Mosaic laws. You're free from all of those dietary, cleanliness requirements. So to eat with a Gentile is to basically say, I'm not following those laws anymore. They'll be eating the wrong things, they'll be doing it the wrong way, amongst a whole bunch of other things that would be questionable in that circumstance. To eat with them is very, very different. It breaks many of the Mosaic laws. And it says that when he, when the, uh, the the party came, he separated himself. So he didn't just sort of say, "Hey guys, I'm just not going to eat with you today, but I'll be back tomorrow." He separated it means that I can't be with you guys anymore because you're doing that, and I need to. I want to be with these guys. So a separation. And then Paul sees, ah, look what even look what happened. The moment you did it. Barnabas follows you. Others who are of the same, that are Jews that have come to Christ and now have said we're not following the Mosaic law, we're saved through Jesus Christ, they also start to do the same thing. So immediately that Peter does it, others start to follow. Others of good standing are following this guy doing the wrong thing in the eyes of Paul. And so he's worried this this is just the start. If those guys can go, if we don't stop this, this could be a schism, a split, and we'll end up with two churches, two religions two versions of the gospel. And I think there's a stark warning in all of this of how we can see faith today and how things can become separated and how we can judge and look down on one another by practices and the way we're doing things. So Peter, withdrawing from fellowship, who won't be sharing the Lord's table with them anymore, is based on a prejudice and a belief that that way is now inferior to this way. This is the correct... That's what it sounds like he, or looks like he's doing. That's an inferior way of doing it. I'm going to this because this is more superior to that. And with the Pharisees, there is, as I said in that definition, a general sense of we have a, we have a better connection, a better understanding of what God wants, and therefore we are, su- are doing this in a superior way. And Paul is frustrated by that division, and he knows the root of it. it is the belief that there is a superior way with the Jewish Christian to the Gentile way. And if you're not sure why I say that, because of the line, I'm just going to grab something from the next section. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. That's not just him saying that flat Tony saying, we're Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. In fact, other translations say Gentile dogs. We are Jews by birth, not Gentile dogs. He's calling out this sense of your your behaviour is implying that there there is us and there is these dogs that do this stuff that's really unacceptable to us. So it's not a, not just a flat-time word. He's literally calling out. You're ta- you're, what you're doing is basically saying, here's our way and there's the way of these dogs. But remember, the Jews are God's chosen, were God's chosen people. And they worship God first by obeying all these clean laws, and they also had sacrificial laws which is about making sacrifices of animals because we couldn't uphold the clean laws so we're breaking these laws so we sacrifice in our way of atoning for the fact that we didn't do what we could or should have done within these clean laws. So it's kind of this balancing out thing going on. And that's ingrained in the Jewish psyche and it's hard to shake. So what's happening is it spreads outside of this non-Jewish community if those things come back then we will reinstate old ways of working. But it's not surprising. They've been doing it for so long, and it was the way they were told to be right with God. This is what you do. You uphold these things, and then if you don't, you make these sacrifices. And somebody's come and changed all that. It's hard to, to leave all this stuff behind. It will be significant in their lives. So on to round two, on the ropes. You know, the fundamental message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is there to save all of mankind. And Peter and Paul do know that. They both know it. They're men of God. They know the good news. They know how you get justified and right with God through Jesus. They know that he is the sacrifice of sin. Regardless of where you come from, he is the saviour for all mankind. Jesus lives the sinless life that no Jew can live. He breaks none of the laws and so upholds every single one. Because no one could do it. Because if you look at it, you'll realise why. But he managed to do it because he is God with us. And he is also the sacrifice paid for our sin. Because we do fail to keep up with those things. There are ways of highlighting God is holy. We are not. And if you want to try and be holy, here's a bunch of laws you want to try and follow. You won't be able to do it. So you sacrifice animals. Well, Jesus upholds all those laws and he becomes the sacrifice for those sins. So the gospel deals with Jew and non-Jew alike. And Peter was even given a vision in, uh, in Joppa, you'll read about it in the book of Acts, about all the eating, the dietary stuff, and there's this, com- this uh, confusing picture of this blanket coming down with all these animals on, and God says, kill and eat, because those were the things that he couldn't do under the old law. And he's saying, stop it, you don't need to do this stuff anymore, that is finished, therefore you can now have these things. Don't try and take the things that I've said is okay and put them back up and say, we can't again. You've made them sinful again, because it's, it's ended, that covenant is gone. You don't have to um, be concerned about those things anymore. So there's all this stuff going on about him harking back to an old separation. And Paul's calling him out and saying, you're a hypocrite, because you know that differently, but you're behaving differently. The big question of all of this is, why does Peter do it? Why does Peter do this? Why does he slip back into this way of working? The answer is pretty clear. Fear. He's afraid. Says, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. He's afraid to stand out. He's afraid to not be part of what he came from. And he's afraid of what it looks like when he associates with Gentile dogs. Who, so he re-engages with his old way of doing things and he goes back to his old habits because this will make me okay in this crowd, this is where I come from. And in this crowd, I w- I'm fearful of not fitting in, of, not, of being seen as this. So I'm coming back over here. We have a value in this church, it's courage. And we say this, and I think it's, you know, when Hannah shared earlier, I'm like, man alive, that's challenging stuff. And she said an interesting thing. I know she didn't mean the word wish for boldness. I think she meant pray for boldness. But this kind of, I just want that boldness. That woman had to just stand there and say, hey, and I'm going to pray really loud because I don't care if everyone hears me. It's like, oh, man alive. I would be like, Hannah, I'd be like, oh, no. But let me tell you something. It's not on my notes here, but I go, I you know, hope. Most of you know I travel around the world with my work. I've got a training company. I go all over the globe, which is which is a real privilege. But I do go to uh, Middle Eastern countries quite often, and they start their meetings in prayer. They, there's me there and two other guys, probably from Europe, and the rest of them are all Muslim, and they just say, "Before we start, we're going to recite a fatihah, I think it is," and they say, "We're going to pray." And you're like, "You're fine," but but why to say at the beginning of a uh, guys, before we start, can we just say the Lord's Prayer? They'd like they're f- not in that one. If in Europe. If I said in Europe, uh, I'd like to start the meeting with the Lord's Prayer, is that okay with everyone? They would say, sorry, but no. I'm sorry, but that's not a diversity and inclusive issue. I'm not happy with that. That's you being prejudiced. I'm like, whoa. But would I even do it? No, (laughs) I'd be too frightened. That's my reality. I'll be honest with you. I'd be like, I could never do that. Anyway. Our courage value is this. Building a culture of courage. We choose to follow God on the adventure of faith. We speak and act in a way that makes it clear that he alone is Lord of our lives. We put aside reputation and personal comfort to be obedient to God. And maybe in the context of what I'm saying today, you start to realise those aren't just fancy words. That's not just us typing up and thinking, that sounds cool. That's deeply challenging. Or at least it is to me. I might be standing here alone, but I find it deeply challenging when I have to stand for my faith in many a situation. Work's pretty bad. My family, really difficult. I have a lot of stepbrothers and stepsisters. I'm sure they think I'm some kooky religious nut. But they haven't seen a kooky religious nut out of me for quite a few years. Maybe they should. It takes courage. And you can say, oh, it's just about me kind of, you know, stealing myself. No, I believe the woman who was praying with Hannah was filled with the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You want to stand up in front of people at work like I do? You want to stand up in front of your family like I do? And not stand there and go, right, you need to know about Jesus. But to be able to say, sorry, but I'm just not going to start the meeting yet for a minute. I just want to go, I'm just going to go and pray. I don't care if they think that's weird, but that would be a big moment for me. But in that moment, something comes over, don't do that, don't do that. I'm praying the Holy Spirit is in me because that would give me power that would make sure I did these things without worrying so much about what people think. So that message of Galatians reaches right into today, right into our lives, right now, because we are often under the same types of pressures, more social these days, but we bow to those pressures. Subtly at first, and Paul is anxious that that subtlety will be the thin end of the wedge, And next thing you know, you're communicating something which doesn't represent the gospel or what it does to change your life. A little swearing. So I'm not too odd. Extra pint or two. So kind of a blend in a bit more. Crude joke here and there. Chatting about my slightly questionable way of handling my taxes. Like, I managed to get out of that one. (coughs) These are all ways to be a little bit of a Cephas. And like Paul's concern with Peter. If you don't catch them and pray and correct them, you can dilute the gospel so easily. You can be in work and you can swear. You can be in work and, or amongst a bunch of friends and join in on the crude jokes. You're thinking, oh, yeah, you're not so different, are you? Good, I don't need what you have then because you're not so different, just the same. Soon enough, we're no different. We go back to a behaviour... So no longer we do we look like we've been changed in any way by this gospel or transformed. We smell and we look like the old us. A worldly version of us. So no one questions us about our faith. I was having an interesting chat with someone on Friday night at the bowling about how his behaviour, because he didn't swear, sparked a whole conversation about his faith. I think good on you. Now swearing isn't something I fall for, but, but certainly there's other things I do thinking, I wouldn't have that conversation necessarily if I didn't you don't do something that stands out. So I posted something this week, some of you may have seen it on Facebook, about this guy. This is the founder of Richer Sounds, a guy called Julian Richer, who is a Richer Sounds over in Watford, they're everywhere. When I grew up they were like the best store ever, because just so many buttons, so many buttons and lights. Know John knows what I'm talking about, just stand there light and all the lights are flashing, no music, it's just it's so pretty because it's hi-fi everywhere. Back in the good old days when they had to separate bits and it was... Anyway, I don't want to go down that route, but, but, the, but the point was that Julian Richer has chosen not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of his mind, as it says in Romans. And he's handed over control of his company to the staff. He's surrendered three and a half million of the company and he's giving everyone a thousand pounds for every year they've worked. There are many people in Richer who have worked for more than 20 years. And he just, they say he is a driven entrepreneur who founded Richer Sounds in 1979 at the age of 19 and can be seen sometimes as being too good to be true. For over four decades, he has championed providing secure, well-paid jobs because he believes a happy workforce is the key to business success. In this article in The Guardian, it said, Richard's business ideas have, he says, been reinforced by his decision to embrace Christianity. Julian Richard stands out. He chose not to conform to the pattern of this world and the pattern of most business leaders, if not nearly all. It is was about profit, 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 shareholding and everything else. He said, capitalism is inherently evil and I have found a better way. He stands out for all the right reasons. And I think he's a provocation to certainly me and I'm sure many of us when you think about That sort of circles he messes in, you know, and they're like, What are you doing? You're giving away three and a half million, a thousand, and what is wrong with you? He's like, He's, and the Guardian noted it because of his faith. He He defends it through his faith. Round three faltering steps of a pro fighter. Can I just be clear about something in all of this stuff in Galatians? Paul is not questioning Peter's faith. He's not questioning that he's lost a grip on the, the, his faith. He's not saying you're a terrible man. He's just saying you're doing something that doesn't line up with that and you need to be told as a brother would to a brother, iron sharpening iron. He's calling it out because his behaviour is not in step with the gospel. So in, in addition to what I was just saying, this is about, this is simple on the one's hand but quite deep and profound on the other. Keller said that Peter had to not got the gospel wrong, he got the order wrong. He'd reinstated an old sequence of things which hark back to his previous life. And he was advocating this order, if you can read that one. The order he was advocating or what he was doing, let's say not he, but what he was doing, started to advocate or kind of re-promote this idea of faith. Your belief in Jesus means that you obey God and then you're saved. So faith, I believe in Jesus, Then I do the things I'm supposed to do because of the law and the rules, and then I'm saved. That sounds not too bad, but it's actually incorrect because faith, I believe in Jesus, and then I am saved. He has done it all. Everything needs to be done. He is the one who fulfills the law and dies to pay the price for my sin, and in response I then obey. I look to understand what it is to follow Jesus, to be more like him, to, to model his types of behaviours and ways in my work. I do that as a result of it. And they look quite similar, but they're radically different in their motives and they're radically different in their outcomes. The first one is an anxious and selfish faith. It's one where you continually are hoping are you doing it right, which is why you feel condemned sometimes. You don't pray enough, you don't read your Bible enough, you don't do this, you don't go to enough meetings. That is old thinking. It's right that you should want to and desire it, but it's not the thing that's getting you saved. And so you're anxious about it because you're not doing enough to get it right. And your salvation isn't quite right because you're not doing all the things. Version 2 is a place of joy and peace. And so you obey. You look to see what God wants of you. You look at his commands. Because you're saved, you didn't earn it. It was a gift and your attitude to people is different. In one, your attitude is you do kind acts because you believe they benefit and they ratchet up good points against you. In one, in version two, you love people in response because there's nothing you can do to add to your salvation. You are saved. You are in eternity. You have God's love and his grace poured out upon you. Your right, your sin has been replaced by Jesus' righteousness. So that's what's happened to you. And in response to that, you you love differently, you love people because you respond to that, you've received the benefits of Christ and the difference is profound and I'm not saying we're on one or the other but if you have aspects of the other one in your life you start to get anxious, you start to worry about I'm going through a dry season, I must be losing my faith and it's critical to long standing Christians like me and many of us in this church and I think that's why we should pay attention to what's being said here Paul is telling Peter, you are not walking in line with the gospel. As J.B. Phillips put it in one of our readings, it's, he's telling Peter, your behaviour is in contradiction to the truth of the gospel. So let's just hold on for just one second and pause, and, and let's just think about this for a second. Paul is telling Peter. He's telling Peter, you are walking in contradiction to the gospel. Peter is a capital A apostle who was with Jesus, sent by Jesus, a disciple and an apostle, sent. And he's saying, your behaviour is in contradiction to the gospel. That is huge for me. Peter, it's Peter, not him. Peter, the apostle, who despite knowing that Jesus died for all, has slipped into a way of behaving that is not in line with the gospel. Peter, who Jesus, he saw Jesus walk on water and he tried it himself and briefly was successful. He watched Jesus do miracle after miracle. He sat under his teaching. He is not walking in step with the gospel. That should be very releasing for me, at least, to know that when I struggle, so did Peter. So we can say, as, as long-standing Christians, like, oh, this gospel stuff is so elementary, so elementary. Get me onto the deep stuff. It's so all this gospel: Jesus saves you. Where's the? Why do I do that in a posh voice? I have no idea. I don't want to know what I know. Speak. Why? Give me the. Come on, give me the meat. It's just milky, milky gospel. Well, I'm not walking in line with it right now, Church. There's some things in my life I'd like to kind of pray for help with. So I want to live in the, in the wake of the gospel for my entire life and that's all I do, it's good enough. If it's all I do, it's good enough. It's not A, B, C guys, it's A to Z. When you think about what does it mean and what am, I trying, what am I hoping for that has the gospel transformed, what's God telling me to do, what's the things that I need to look at in my life that would help reflect the gospel. Some people use this kind of cheesy term, you know, preach the gospel, sometimes use words. But it's true, you know, there's many ways that you, you are the gospel in your workplace. You get people interested, like I said, in someone sharing me on Friday, interested because of the way you're behaving is not just contradictory to the earthly way I have of behaving, but it's good. You don't cheat on your wife, you don't cheat on your girlfriend, you don't fool around. No person saying, that's bad. They're all saying, deep down, that's kind of good. You don't swear, you don't crude joke, no one's saying you really should, it would make you a more wholesome person. No one's saying that, they're thinking, it's annoying because I know it's right. What is it like to to live out the gospel Ephesians 4 kind of gives at least one good example and Ephesians is a good letter for this kind of so what, what do we need to do what's the sort of stuff we need to just consider that we might be doing that's contradictory to the gospel which brings all people together which forgives us from all our sin brings all humanity under Jesus Christ for those who believe in him. Ephesians 4 says I therefore so Paul is saying this to the Ephesians in response to the gospel I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's talking about how we should be together. That's just one of many things. This is what it's like when you are impacted by the gospel and you're saved as a free gift your your response would be more like this not to condemn but to challenge am i where in that am i not particularly and i need some help because i could be like not reflecting the gospel in my family relationships for sure but even within the church the way i talk to people the way i think about people the way i let you know disagreement just harbor for years I don't believe for one second, though, that Peter is consciously deciding not to walk in line with the gospel. But the warning's stark, if he can slip into old habits that do not reflect and are in contradiction, then so can I. And I'm praying now There's the Holy Spirit moment of conviction in the room, not condemnation. Good, wholesome, back on track. That area of my life, it really is where probably no one would know I'm a Christian because I just kind of go along with the flow. And I know that's not right because I've read enough of the Bible, I've heard enough about Jesus to know that's not the way I'm supposed to live. And we'll come to that later because you've got a section towards the end of Galatians where it literally lists out lots of things that are not, things not to get involved in, sexual immorality, these kind of things, covetedness and all those sort of things. And then there's a list of things that, you know, come as the fruit of the spirit. Love, patience, kindness, you'll hear about that. I don't want to use it too early because it's a fantastic section of scripture. So finally, let's look at the judge's decision. And it's good news. It's good news for us. In reality, it's good news for Peter too. Because he doesn't really lose the fight, because Peter goes on. And you'll see what he says later. And time scales around Galatians are a little bit tricky to kind of work out. But there's stuff that happens as a result of a council that they kind of, they declare that, no, you do not have to be circumcised. You do not. It's not part of the new covenant. So, So think Peter is definitely, whatever happened, He wins, ultimately. The gospel of Jesus wins. It's not about Paul winning. It's about the gospel winning. We too win because Jesus wins. We are set free from the consequence of our sin. And God loads all of our sin on Jesus Christ so that we can be justified. That word justified, like I say, is a preach in its own right. It's it's borrowed from a legal term, I believe, from the courts. And it's more like, because often we think, well, there's this unclean me and now there's this clean me. Is that what justified is? No, it's more like you're condemned here. You are condemned. You are going to pay for what you've done. The thought, the word and deed of your life, your sinful behaviours. And by the way, if you want to read the 600 plus mosaic laws, you realise, oh my word, I didn't do any of those. Two of them, you know, it's the list is very short. There's you, condemned. Now you're pardoned. You're acquitted. You're set free. You're loaded with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the different justification saying, right now you're condemned. In him, you are acquitted. You're not just cleaned up, you're acqui- it's not counted against you because when God looks at him, he sees Jesus' righteousness. That is baffling to me, baffling. That there is this incredible exchange that goes on that says, he stands in my place and when God looks at me, because of me believing, my putting my faith in Jesus, he sees his righteousness. We call it the great exchange. Great is not good enough a word for it. It is not good enough a word for it. 2 Corinthians 5.11, I think I've got it up there at the bottom, yeah. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. That in him, I, Andy Smith, might become the righteousness of God. I don't, I'm glad to say I don't really get it. I don't understand love like that. But it's true. That's what the Bible tells me. He, Jesus, who knew no sin, takes my sin on and I get his righteousness. How on earth? Because it's not of earth, it's of God. It's baffling, but it's true. And you don't want to add in, and by the way, it was also enhanced by my good behaviour. Because that's what's trying to be said. You're, you're a better Christian, your good, so God will be more saving of you. Now, there, like I said, it's a response to his goodness. It's not the thing that earns his unmerited favour, because it was unmerited in the first place. And as Galatians 2.16-17 says, he's trying to make sure. Paul's saying again, yet we know that a person is not justified by works, so you don't get acquitted because of things you do, but through your faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ. He's talking about him and Peter. In order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified neither jew nor greek slave nor free male nor female you're not justified by what you do you're justified by christ and that works itself out in your life and paul is not gonna he's going at length now to make sure that we know that we are acquitted because of his sacrifice jesus's sacrifice on the sin so it should again be hugely releasing but it is hugely risky and Paul and Peter both know there's a risk here. You've got this kind of, so if I'm off, then why don't I just muck around? Why, just, why do I, like, if I'm let off, which is often the way I think some people promote Christianity, which which no idiot would not put their hand up. Who wants to be forgiven for their sin? Yeah. Like, who wouldn't? Yeah, thanks for the response. It wasn't an altar call, but thanks for joining in. But, but who wouldn't? Yeah, all right, I'll have that. Good stuff. Believe in Jesus, you're saved nice who's off down the pub then it's not that it's not that basic you've got to understand what you're saying you're asking to take that's why often when I'm, i think lord of my life i don't call him jesus my friend my homeboy my mate he's the lord of my life because he died for me our response needs to be more significant than all right then that sounds like a good idea and that's the risk Which is why he says, But if in our endeavour to be justified in Christ, we are too uh, too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, i prove myself to be a sinner, a transgressor again. It didn't really happen then, did it? You you sure you understood what he did for you? Because if you did, you wouldn't then slide straight back into that behaviour, would you? And that's a complex section of scripture. I mean, like I say, it's just huge. Um, But let me just try and do it through Andy Smith's take. Because if I truly accept that I cannot win God's favour in some kind of a trading deal for my goodness, if I accept that God is good and holy and I am not, and that in Jesus there is this great exchange, this incredible gift, then I cannot build back up my old life, my old attitudes, the things I used to think about, the things I used to do, I believe in God. But I used to figure out, you know, I, used to, I believed in him even before I became a Christian. But I kind of figured out there was this kind of deal at the end where I kind of like have a negotiation. And I'm not bad at negotiations. I've had negotiation training. I can take God on. You need to know what I did once. I, I did this charity event. And I did this stuff and that stuff and that stuff. And that, that surely must count Father Christmas for the good list. That thinking... It was m- totally my invention. Just made it up. Just what made me feel comfortable to carry on doing bad things but then trade it off against the fact I'd never murdered anyone. I think I might have killed the occasional pet in my life, but I didn't kill anyone, so that surely can't be the... I mean, I shot pets, by the way. I just mean I mis- mishandled them at some point. But, you know, I didn't think that all this stuff was... But that was all made up. The human way of getting on with sinning and then arguing the toss at the end with God so I could probably get in that heaven thing that I think might exist. That was the gospel according to an old Andy Smith, and it's just rubbish. It was wishful thinking, it was wrong, and ultimately it may be actually anxious underneath, because I'm thinking, "Mm, I hope that's kind of what it's going to be. It was pretty flawed hope, but by God's spirit, and I don't know how he did it, because no one had a discussion with me. I was at church, I was going because my brother had been healed, and I was like, what has happened here? I just went along because I was curious. No one said anything to me that day that was like oh, you've said the, the magic words that have got me. I'm in. I just remember the spirit falling upon me thinking I know that I know this truth. This is truth. This makes sense to me. It might not I don't understand it, but that that's what I've been hunting for and looking for. That he's paying the price of my sin, that I can't win his favor. And on a small scale, I was thinking about this and it's, it's terrible to kind of do analogies that are a bit too small scale but, but I thought it's like someone climbing up a burning, someone I don't know climbs up a burning building to pull me from the flames and puts his or her life on the line to get me to safety, I believe I would be the first to honour that person, I would be the first to try and do right by them, I'd be the first to say that is incredible, I, I would want to honour them in what they did. And that has, some, for me, some small-scale echo of what Jesus has done for me. I'm eternally, though, more than a burning, but I'm eternally grateful for what he's done. And as a response to that, I do my best to honour him. He died for my sin. So the order for me is faith. Then he saves me. And I just want to honour him and be obedient as best I can, with his help. To not shame him in my behaviour, not just even in a little way, just kind of drift away slowly and cause confusion. The good news of the gospel, I hope, is clear. Salvation through faith in Jesus alone and nothing else. But I also hope today for us it's a stark reminder, a loving rebuke, whatever you want to call it, Because I believe Paul loved and respected and honoured Peter. It was a loving rebuke. It was a mate. I mean, I'm awful. (laughs) Paul would never say mate. But you know what I mean? It's like brother, brother. And he did it publicly because his behaviour was public. Everyone could see what Peter was doing. It's like, I have to say this in public. But I believe he's like, brother, brother, come on. So I hope today's been a bit like that. Brother and sister. You know, if this has kind of struck a chord, as it did with me prepping it, it's like, I'm literally going to, Andy, Andy, come on, mate. Then have a little think about some of the things that you just, you know, you're drifting. And just pray for God to help me in those spaces. The gospel is seriously good news for the five-minute Christian for sure, but it needs to remain seriously good news for the five-plus years one as well. So I want to pray. I'm just going to pray. I think if you're, if, so I'm just asking, you know, does this resonate with you guys? If it has, then in a second I'll ask you to stand and me pray with you. We slip back to old ways. Do you find old habits that you know are not in line with the gospel hard to shake and you need a bit of help? No condemnation. We're not into a performance culture here, but we want to make sure that we're kind of, yep, that's not in line, that's not in step and I need some help there. Or perhaps as well, like me, you want to just be able to say, look, I want to be able to be a bit of a sore thumb, stand out a bit more. I want to have that boldness and that courage that says the Spirit will deliver. So I can say, just don't want to start the, the meeting just yet, guys. I'll just be gone for two minutes because I want to go and pray. Just to be... That kind of stuff to me its like, whoa, it makes me shiver. So there's something that I know is trying to stop me doing that. So if those are the things you, you, you feel like you slip back into old ways, habits are hard to shake, or you want to be able to stand, if I ask you invite you to stand, I'll just pray, certainly for myself, I'll pray with anyone who's willing to stand with me. So if you want to stand, please do. Father God, above all things, I want to thank you for Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for that great exchange, which I will spend many a joyful moment trying to wrestle with in, in all the goodness of what it is that he took on sin that I might be made righteous in your sight. I am, I am stunned by that. I pray for every single one of us. There's nothing else we remember from today. We're just once again re with that and we are stunned by it, Lord. Pray for your blessing upon us all as we try and just wrestle with what that means and how it plays out in our lives. I pray no one feels condemned today. I pray there is conviction in the room and by your spirit you then help us. Anyone who's slipping back into old habits and thinking if, if really now I don't think that that's where I should be with these things, I pray by your spirit you come and you help them today, Father. Would you come, Holy Spirit, now? And would you come and help people who are struggling with, with old habits creeping back in? I pray for those that are struggling, Father God, saying, you know what, I am saved, I believe in Jesus, but th- this area of my life just will not leave me alone. It's dogging me, it, doesn't, it hasn't gone. It's even maybe a form of an addiction. I pray for a release by your Holy Spirit. Come and free people from that bondage because it's a tactic of the enemy to pull us down continually. We've not quite got it right because we're pulled down by this area of life we know is just not in line with the gospel. And Father God, I pray for those of us that are wanting to say, yes, I want to stand out. I'm challenged by people like Judy and Richard, but I'm challenged more and more by how... Jesus Christ stood out in his culture, in his time. And, and how what does it mean for me to, to stand out? Not to be a weirdo, not to be a kind of an irritating, annoying Christian guy who just makes everything miserable. No, but Father God, that we would be those that stand out for goodness, stand out for reflecting the gospel, stand out for, for the Corinthians-type love that has no record of wrongs, that is patient, that is kind, that the fruits of the Spirit would flow through us in our workplaces, love and kindness and faithfulness patience these things will flow from us father god that people go what is it that gives you the ability to do that and that's our chance to say well i just because of my faith father would 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 i be that? i alone might say just me father god right now stood in front of you but i know there's brothers and sisters that feel the same and i pray by your spirit you will fall upon us because monday's coming in jesus name amen Amen. Be blessed, church. Have a wonderful week.